The debate rages about the role of women in our culture. What's a woman to do in today's culture anyway? How much is a woman worth to God? Let's ask God to turn on the lights in our minds and our hearts as our study leader Dave Wurtson begins this series, A Living Faith, The Influence of Godly Women, in Genesis chapter 1 with Eve, the mother of us all. I listened to NPR the other day, and NPR had a woman that's written a whole book on Wonder Woman. They're going to re-institute Wonder Woman. And the big debate was whether or not when Wonder Woman and Superman meet, this woman wanted to be really sure that Wonder Woman was just as strong as Superman. And that was really a big thing. The other thing in our culture, like for example, how many of you play with Barbie dolls? Anybody play with Barbies? Well, now you've got to decide whether you should dress them all in army fatigues or marine fatigues, okay? Then we can switch to the other side. I went to the Anatole for a big celebration on a Friday night, and SMU had a big thing down below. We were three floors up. But I noticed all the ladies are wearing like five-inch heels. What could be farther from combat boots to have women wearing these very feminine, really high, that they're taking their life in their hands as they walk on stilts, right? So you, you live in this incredible culture. It goes ricocheting back and forth. I want you to understand something. Everyone needs to listen. Your culture today is moving away from the fact that there is a male and a female. You see, if you're a Western progressive liberal individualist, and I'm using this philosophically, the idea in the West is that you as an individual determine all things. You need to think really hard about that. You are being told that there isn't such a thing as a woman or a man. There's no such thing as a male or a female. That all of you are just individuals. So you can be like Madonna, you can just sing and you can put on different costumes and you can recreate yourself. And when all of you ladies understand that you're being challenged constantly to recreate yourself. I can just think back over my own life a little bit. Like when I was back in college, Betty Friedman and Gloria Steinem and Ella Elbzug and several other of the feminists, that was the early days of the feminist movement. They were telling all of you ladies that you needed to just not be mothers anymore, that you needed to not be wives anymore, that you need to invade the marketplace, okay? And I remember having debates among believers, what in the world are godly women going to do? And it's going to be the end of the family, the end of marriage as we know. It wasn't the end of marriage and end of family as we know it. Here you are. It's 2013. And a bunch of the young women that were trained that you don't need to be wives and mothers, a bunch of them now are hungry to be there. In fact, some of them became older and they really mourned the fact that they didn't have children. Remember all those days? It's not important whether you believe what I say. What's important is I want you to think this morning about the stories that you're listening to. There was a lot of my sisters in Christ that listened to the story that Gloria Simon was telling and Betty Friedan was telling. They believed all those stories, and they lived their life based upon those stories. All of you are living your life today based upon a story. And even when I begin to talk to you about a woman and what a woman is, you've got a story that comes behind it. For example, if you ladies were abused by a man in your life and your father maybe was abusive or maybe you were in an alcoholic marriage and your husband abused you, then as soon as I talk to you about your role as a woman, you're entering into that story. What I want you to do is to kind of call time out on that story because over the next several weeks, I want to challenge you not to listen to the story that I want to tell you. But we want you to listen to the story that God wants to tell you. The Bible, the story that God is telling you, how does the Bible begin? In the beginning, everybody tell me real loud. In the beginning, 
Now, I want you to realize that you live in a culture where as soon as I mention God, I'm out. Like if I'm a lawyer before the Supreme Court and I've got to defend what male and female are and what marriage should be, if I mention, well, in the beginning God created, the Supreme Court justice will say, foul. That's not fair. We can't talk about God here. Well, what you just said is that in our story, in the Supreme Court, that the most important person in all of existence, in all of reality, has just been eliminated from the story. Now, I want you to understand the power of that. And one of the things I want you to learn to do is in your own life, in your own business, in your own schools, in your own life, in your family, the way to deal with that is you yell and scream and get all angry about what ABC News is doing and what other media outlets are doing, what the Supreme Court is doing. What I want us to be is we need to become a people that say, no, we know the living God. Do you know the living God? Yes, the living God's right here today. He's moving in your midst. And then it goes on in this story and says that the whole earth was filled with darkness, that the world was empty, that it was formless. There's great tension in that. As you think about this darkness and the hovering of the Spirit of God above this darkness, there's great tension in the story. The Bible starts out right away by saying that there's going to be an emptiness and a void. Ecclesiastes is going to tell you, ladies, that if you live your life based upon just this life under the sun, you're going to end up empty. You can live for business. You can live for beauty. You can have all the plastic surgeries that you want so that your daughter's friends wonder whether it's your mom or an older big sister. Eventually, all the plastic surgery is going to cave in. It all falls. And I've just seen Sam Jackson. I was right in his bedroom. And boy, you talk about a way to go. He came in after working outside a little bit, went down in the bed, took off his glasses, put it to the side. He took his remote, turned on some really good, easy listening music, and that's where Cheryl found him. But Sam, was, it was like he was, Lord, here I am. What a way to go, amen? But I want you to know something about Sam. Already, when I went into that bedroom, he was beginning to decay. And Mary and I were talking about it. And all the plastic surgery and all the vitamins, and all the running, and all the stuff that you can ever do as ladies, I hate to tell you, but you're all decaying today. And that's why, as your pastor teacher, I want to be a brother, I want to be a daddy that says, hey, spiritually, in the beginning, God. And the Spirit of God hovers over the emptiness of creation, and he begins to fill it. And the Holy Spirit wants to hover over your life this morning as a woman. That's my prayer. I'm not worried about what the United States Supreme Court's doing so much. I'm not worried about what's happening among pagans in our culture. I want you to stop being so angry because unbelievers do what unbelievers do. I want you to realize that the homosexual debate isn't the real debate in our culture. It's heterosexual immorality. It's the breakdown of heterosexual marriages. That's the problem in our culture. And it's women that don't have the foggiest idea what it means to be a woman. And it's men that don't have the foggiest idea what it means to be a man. That's why this debate is even taking place. Because we haven't had women that are really great moms and they're great wives. And they train little boys and they train the little girls what it means to really have the Spirit of God living in your life. And, and as I look at this audience, some of you have really lived that life with God. And I want to empower you. I want you to be empowered. I want you not to be angry. I don't want you to be upset. I want you to be invigorated. I want you to realize that you've got the truth. The Spirit of God can produce life in your life, especially in your life as a woman this morning. 
And the very first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, well, what's the value of a woman? How much is a woman worth? That's the very first thing we want to ask in the story. We begin to listen to God's story. One of the first things that he raised is, how much is a woman worth? And that debate rages. Like for many centuries out there in the world, a woman wasn't worth much. 20 shekels. The price of a slave. That's what they sold Joseph down into slavery. So you'll have debates about, is a woman worth 20 shekels or not? So in much of the world, women are just the price of a servant. That's not a very good value. You know, just the shekels, okay? A lot of people lump what God says in his word in that old traditional view that women are supposed to be kitchen knaves and have their hair up in a bun and have a big swollen stomach constantly until they die and they just generate children. They're just a baby maker and they just meet the servant needs of their husband. Many cultures are like that. I want you to understand that that's not where God's story begins with you as a lady. So don't let that become what the story in the word of God is because it isn't. When we come to the climax of Genesis chapter 1, turn there to Genesis chapter 1. As you move through all the days of creation, you're moving on. This is a first day. This is a second day. This is a third day. This is the fourth day. This is the fifth day. God has all the world ready for the epitome of his creation. Look what it says in God's word. It says in chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, let us make man, human beings. And I want you ladies to know, it uses the word Adam there. And Adam is focused on Adam, who's going to be the first man, and he was created first. It doesn't mean that you're less valuable. Animals were created before Adam. It doesn't mean that the animals are more valuable than Adam. You got it? It's really important to understand that. But also, as God begins to tell the story, God could have told the story where he invented women first, okay? And that's what a lot of feminists would want to tell you, that that's the story you should have told. Well, then you're going to follow that story. But if I'm going to be true to the story that God is telling, it says, in the beginning, God said, let us make Adam. Then he says this. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So he talks about an image and something that this image is going to be like God. Okay, so think about that. And let them rule. So your purpose for the person made in the image of God is to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So you're introduced to another story, ruling and giving oversight. Ruling isn't a bad thing. In your culture, you're taught that all rule is a bad thing. That you as an individual have the right to do anything you want to do, and you don't need to be under anyone else's rule. I want you to know that that's a bad story. You're going to lose your life if you're not under the rule of God. And God created Adam to rule over creation. So, for example, a very healthy example is you watch those firefighters out there in Southern California. They're not saying, oh, Mother Nature, do your thing. Blow with the power of might and the power of heat. And may all the houses in this whole Southern California area be burned down. You see, you're going to let nature just do what it's going to do. People die. Nature's destroyed. Animals die. Did you see those deer running and rabbits running? Because you live in a world where because of our fall, because we've sinned, we live in a natural world where there's a lot of chaos and a lot of darkness, a lot of death. And human beings, and there's an example of God's common grace where there's people that will come from all over the country to rule over nature, to get a victory over that fire. You understand what I'm saying? God's principles aren't evil. Whether or not you're lined up with a story, it's not a bad thing for human beings to rule. So when your kids are taught in school that we just need to get out of the way and nature will be a beautiful thing, if you get out of the way, nature will destroy you. 
you need to listen to the story you're being told. I want you to listen. The idea that nature's some beautiful, benevolent mother, man, she is, she's a murderer because of our sin. We polluted Mother Nature. We polluted God's creation. And that's introduced here right at the very beginning of the story. So then God says this. Look what it says. It says, so God created Adam. God created Adam humans, and the, but it's an emphasis upon Adam that's going to become the personal Adam in chapter 2. And he created him in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now notice this. Male and female, he created them. So who's made in the image of God? Are you, all of you guys made in the image of God? Okay, how many of you women are made in the image of God? Part of the image of God is male and female. Because he's going to tell you to be fruitful and multiply. This is God's story. Now, your story from a progressive individualism is the idea that none of you are males, none of you are females, that we live in a great world of individuals. I got news for you. You're not going to produce anything. That's the hard truth that nobody ever tells you. You say, what about all those kids? They came from males and females, even in test tubes. Kids aren't born from males and males. Does everybody understand that? Kids don't come from females and females. I didn't have any kids because I joined with another man. There ain't any kids. And I got 10 grandkids now. We're coming on strong. That's a great story. I'm not going to apologize for my story. I'm just so thankful for someone that said when I was a little bitty kid, hey, you're made in God's image. You need to be a man. And I want you men. That's why I did that series. I want you men. You live in a culture where little boys don't know what it means to be a man. They're raised in a culture that tells them they need to play with Barbie dolls and all that kind of a thing. You need to think through, is that really a good story? You ladies need to think through, what is the story that your little girls are being told? And the first question you need to ask yourself is, how much are your girls worth? So some of you pour all your life and you want to make them look just like a Barbie. When I was in South Korea, there was a big debate because they had 25 beauty pageant South Korean girls. And when they put all their faces up, they all looked the same. Their dimensions were the same. Their faces were the same. Everything was the same. And there was a big debate in South Korea. What about all the plastic surgery? These are 18 to 20-year-old South Korean girls that are plastic. They all look the same. Is that a good story, ladies? So you start to tell your kids those stories. That the value of a woman is that she looks just like all of those people on TV and in the movies. Well, just walk into a restaurant, eat today at lunch, and look around at the women. You know what? I see one out of 600 women that look like all the people that we watch on TV. You understand what I'm saying? So is the value of a woman just in the way she looks? So then you say, oh, no. Some of you say, well, I couldn't compete as a Barbie doll, so you're going to compete as a business person. The idea is you need to be like the head now of Facebook. Sandberg went right up to the top. She worked in Google. Now she went right to the top of Facebook. Isn't that awesome? And you know what, ladies? you got to go right to the top through Google, right up to the top of Facebook. But you know what? You need to be home every single night and eat with your kids. Well, that's really reasonable. Boy, the executives that I know that climb to the top, it's hard to get home every night. By the way, like our girls go to college and they're taught that. Man, you can beat these guys and everything. You can take over Wall Street. You can take over this. That's true. I believe you can. To be honest with you, I teach a bunch of students. If I want a winning team academically, I'm going to take the girls. 
It had nothing to do with equality. You laid it during the needs of the Your heavenly father said you're made in his image. But if you make being successful in business, hey, ladies, men for the last hundreds upon hundreds of years have found their meaning in business. Ladies, how would you say we're doing? Did you ever look at the suicide rate among high-powered executives in business or high-powered lawyers or high-powered dentists? I don't want you ladies to follow an empty path that we've already followed. The meaning of life for a man or a woman isn't just in what he does. It's not the way that he looks. You say, well, Dave, what is it? It's in the fact that you're made in the image of God. And I brought some images today so you'll all understand what an image is. Because when I was in theology class at Dallas at this time, we would have this great big thing right now about the image of God is how you are like him in your character you know what right and wrong is, that, that it's, it's all the invisible things that make human life meaningful, all the way that we're unlike animals. And I could go on, we could just have a whole series on the image of God theologically from the Bible, which would all be true. But one thing I want you to learn is you need to get across God's story. So one of the ways to understand God's story, this is the first time you're introduced to the idea of images. Everybody agree with this? This is the very first time we're introduced to what? So what in the world is an image? Well, I brought an image. Okay, I brought an image today, and Willie, my precious dog, is dead. Sad to say, my West Highland Terrier is dead. So I brought an image of Willie. And what makes this an image of Willie, this is like a West Highland Terrier. That's what an image is. In Hebrew, salam means this image. And this is a pretty realistic one. It's soft and fluffy, okay? And it looks kind of like Willie. What are some ways that it's like Willie? It's white. It's furry. It has the pointed ears, black piercing eyes. Lots of ways this image is like Willie, okay? You got it? That's what the Hebrew means. It's an image that's like what it's supposed to represent. I brought one that's a little bit closer to the images God was worried about. Here's another image. This is probably an Irish setter. And I was raised with Irish setters, so I love them too, okay? So this is a gold image of an Irish setter. This is an image, okay? Now, all over the ancient world, as you study the story of Israel now, as you start listening to God's story, suddenly you're going to be introduced just in the flow of the story. For example, when Jacob and Rachel flee from Laban, Rachel steals her dad's images. Remember that? If you don't remember it, just go and read a little bit farther in Genesis. You'll get this story, okay? And the Jews make a big joke about it. Because all the nations worship images like this. Only they would carve them out of wood, then they'd cover them with gold. Okay? And then they'd bow down. They'd have all these little idols in their houses and stuff, okay? And they'd worship that. Well, Rachel steals Laban's household images. And that's why Laban comes tearing out to get them. And Rachel's in her period, definitely a womanly thing. And so she sits on her big camel saddle. And she has the images hid under the camel saddle. And she says to her father, Father, forgive me. And Laban looks everywhere. He undoes everything, just like a man does when he's trying to find something in a suitcase. Laban can't find his household idols. And Jacob just lambastes him. What would you think I'd ever take your worthless idols anyway and everything? And the whole joke is that a menstruating woman is sitting on these supposedly powerful idols, which if you're Jewish, is like saying, hey, they're not worth anything. Everyone's laughing. Because these lifeless idols can't bring you life. 
There is dead, a, a menstruating woman isn't going to be pregnant that month. That's the idea. And the, and the Hebrews think like that. You see, she's going to have to wait again before she bears a child. And these lifeless idols, they can't bring you life either. That's the way I want you to begin to think about this story, okay? You say, well, Dave, why is God so uptight about worshiping things like this? Because this is lifeless, okay? Willie could breathe and could move. And this can't. My Irish setters that I was raised with as a kid, they ran and they jumped over fences, and I used to have to get taken out of school to go and get them. And they were gorgeous, running in the wind with the sun blowing that beautiful reddish-brown hair. They were alive. The reason that the Lord doesn't want any of you ladies to worship anything lifeless doesn't want you to look at Cosmopolitan magazine and worship all those conglomerations of women that are from different body parts of, of a million different women and worship that as your ideal. He doesn't want you to set up some symbol of a woman in business, and that's going to be it. He doesn't want you to worship a lifeless, dead, empty image. You know why? Because you're the image. The value of a woman. Now, this week, if anyone asks you to say, well, what's your value as a woman? I want you to say, I was made in heaven. I used to joke and say, made in China? I can't say that anymore because like my shaver that I bought yesterday comes from China, and I hope it's a good one. I hope it has good value. But when I was a kid, remember those days, made in China? What did that mean? But now we can't say that. What I want you to know, ladies, the values on earth, made in China, made in South Korea, Hyundai's are pretty good cars. They're all over the place in South Korea. But I'm looking at my precious sisters in Christ. You're made in the image of the eternal living God. That's what this text is telling you. So you begin teaching your little girls that God made both males and females in his image. And they're not to be lifeless idols that can't breathe, that can't live, that can't talk, that can't hear. The reason God was so against idols in the ancient world is because you're his image. Both men and women, you're his image, and you're alive as his gift. He breathed in your nostrils the breath of life, and you became a living person. So we begin this series talking about the value of a woman. We understand that it begins with the fact that she's made in God's image. Amen? The rest of God's word, you want to add yourself, what does it mean to be like God? What does it mean to be like God? Well, the second question we ask in Genesis chapter 2 is, okay, what's a woman supposed to do? And so we ask, you know, what's a man supposed to do? When I taught you about that, he's supposed to serve God in taking care of the garden. He was the first gardener. And then the Lord says, well, this isn't good for man to be alone. So that's the first statement. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, the first negative statement says, it's not good for man to be alone. Any of you men, do you agree with that statement? I'm going to confess to you something. Okay, I often do retreats. I did one just recently that was all men. I've been to promise keepers where there's all men, like 50,000 of them. Ladies, I'm going to confess something to you. I can take that for about one day, and then I'm ready to have some sisters around. I'm really serious. You know why? Because the Lord didn't create me to be in a world that's filled with all men. And by the way, this isn't just a marriage. In this church family, we need brothers and sisters. Amen? Don't divide from each other. One of the things Satan's always trying to do is to get you to divide. Especially he wants you to divide along your sameness. 
He wants all you ladies to get together and you do your thing together. And you get close together. You meet all your needs together. And you won't have a lot of conflict doing that because you're all the same. And he wants to get all of you men in there. It doesn't mean that we don't ever do those things separately. But, but I want to understand that Satan wants to keep us apart. Because you don't have life. You don't have power for newness when you have the same. In order to have power in a battery, you need a negative and a positive pull. You don't have just a positive pull and a positive pull. Nothing happens. So the Lord created all of nature to be men and women, and it wasn't good for men to be alone. And as you're reading this story, if you're a single lady here today, as we talk about the purpose of the very first woman, Eve is the mother of everybody on planet Earth. Eve is all of your mother. And when God created the very first woman, the first story that he told about her, he didn't tell her being the queen of Sheba. The first story that he told, he didn't tell a story of Lydia being a seller of purple. The first story that he told, he didn't tell a story of Dorcas being a great deaconess and a servant and serving the people in the first century church. That's not the first story that he told. So this is what I want my sisters in Christ to be alert to. Let the Lord fill the story and take it the way he told it. So what's significant about the fact that the first story that he told about a woman was it wasn't good for her husband to be alone. He doesn't even know it yet, but he needs a companion. How many of you think that's a good thing? That's really a good thing. Now, here's one of those translation things, and we're not going to get to the next two things that are really important about what happened to a woman in the fall and what happens to her in redemption. We'll have to pick that up the next time, but I want you to get this. In chapter 2, chapter 2 gets up close and personal and says, okay, why was Eve created? It says it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So all of you, if you're a single woman, as a sister in Christ, you help to meet the aloneness needs of your brothers in Christ. God isn't excluding you. In fact, the Lord's going to have a great honorable place for singleness. Some of you ladies that are widows now and you're in that time of life where you're single... That's really hard. But part of the way that we meet those needs this morning is that you meet your aloneness needs by connecting with others. And that's what's going on in Genesis chapter 2. And the very first story is we needed a husband that would be able to unite with a wife so that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the Lord created, it says here in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord wanted an ally who would correspond to him. The phrase literally, in fact, in English, how many of you have the word helper? And I want to make something really clear because this is one of those translation things that often comes up. The word helper in English is a negative, inferior word often. I was a carpenter's helper. That means you can ask Pat after service. I was not the elite valued person on a construction site. I was the one that they spit at tobacco juice. I was the one that pulled nails out of used lumber. I was the one that carried all the material they need. I was the slave of the construction site. And that's what a lot of you ladies have been taught, that the word helper, you ladies were created to be a helper to Adam, and that means that you're this construction helper. All you do is you work in the home and all those things, and those are denigrated. 
You don't have the elite positions. And Christianity then becomes in your college. Like when your daughters go away to college, they're going to teach them Christianity has held women back for hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and years and years and years. Christianity is a big, terrible, patriarchal thing. You need to hear me really carefully. The word etzer in Hebrew does not mean inferior. In fact, it's most often used of the great I am. In fact, Eliezer is Abraham's servant. And Eliezer's name means, Eli, my God, is my help. Moses' second son's name, Gershom is his first son. His second son is called Eliezer. Same name of Abraham's servant, my God is my help. In Deuteronomy, when Moses wants to remind his people about the power of God, he says, remember your help. The great I am is the one that helped you through the Red Sea. He's the one that helped you in the wilderness. In my dissertation on Hosea, one of the names for God in Hosea chapter 13, it says that the great I am is our help. So ladies, when you're called to be an etzer, is that a weak word? No. But it means you're supposed to come alongside brothers in Christ. You're supposed to come alongside your husband, and you become a great companion. And the other side of this word means is that you can stand opposite him. What's wrong with homosexuality is that it doesn't fit. If the glove doesn't fit, then don't follow it. In Hebrew, it says there was a male. And when they went all over the animal kingdom, they couldn't find anyone that corresponded. So the Lord created a woman, and when Adam saw her, he said, Wow, at last, this is now bone of my bone to flesh of my flesh. She was corresponding to him. Your two hands are very similar, and they're equal in value, but they're oriented completely different in space, which is a great way to think about the difference between men and women. But you correspond to each other. What God is saying in Genesis chapter 2 for you, ladies, it says your value, number one, your value is... You have a price in your head, ladies, made in the image of God. You have a great purpose. You correspond to men. If you're a wife today, the Lord uses you to meet the aloneness of your husband. And men, let them inside. That's what they need more than anything else. Don't isolate them. Let them be your companion. Let them be your etzer. Let them be the one that corresponds to you. And then beautifully, as we unite together in a husband and wife relationship, we're fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. As we close today, I want to ask you, ladies, what story are you going to follow today? I want you to understand that you have incredible witnesses. And I can just pick out some. Wynette, I buried her husband, Don. Wynette has served the Lord for many, many years. She was a precious wife. She was a precious mom. She's a great example. She's a widow in our church family. Younger folks, spread the word. Here's one of your precious gems. And she didn't live for business. She can write stories. She can write novels. But she's a great example of a mom and a wife. Was that a good value to live for, Wynette? Yeah, it was, wasn't Billy, Billy with her husband Asa, gave birth to Faith Bible Church. Really, that's the truth. They were the first couple in Dallas that really adopted. This is like my mom. I'm serious. Asa gave me my job as a construction helper. (laughs) 
But Billy, it's still going strong for the Lord. Give her the honor. Young ladies, you want to know how to do it? You want to know about the image? This is it. This is it. We have Ella. Ella and both Ella and Margaret. Ella is our senior citizen. We've lived all of our lives together since I moved here to Midlothian. We've gotten marriages. We've had babies born. We buried her precious husband, Virgil. Same thing with Margaret, with Ed. Ed helped us found our church. He was one of our first leaders. I remember meeting in Margaret and Ed's house and, and hearing Ed learn how to teach the Bible. Margaret and Ella are our mature, godly women. Let the older women teach the younger women. All right? We could go on and on. My wife, Mary, doesn't like to be in the public, okay? But I want you to know that what I preach today, the value of a woman made in the image of God, the value of a woman that's the ally, the companion of her husband. I couldn't do what I do without my companion. And Mary has done that for years and years and years, and she's going to continue to do that until the Lord calls us home. You say, what's the future of our church? It's you younger ones. What's going to bring life is ladies that decide, I'm going to find my story in his story.